The Gospel reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 13, starting at verse 22, the narrow door. It's on page 1047 of the Church Bibles. The narrow door. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The reading from Acts is taken from Acts chapter 6, uh, reading from verse 8 just to the end of the chapter. So it's Acts 6, verses 8 to 15. Stephen seized. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, these men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Lee. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name's Johnny. I'm the curate here. Um, and it's my privilege... Oh, this is a It's my privilege to... Um, to be bringing God's word to you this morning um, as we unpack. Um, it's a good way to start, isn't it? Um, as we unpack Acts chapter six. And for those of you who weren't here last week, let me do a little recap of uh, where we're going or where we went last week so you know where we're going this morning. And then the church was, was growing rapidly here at the start of Acts. Uh, the Spirit had been doing amazing things. Uh, the, the power of Jesus was still at work. and. Uh, there was a huge excitement uh, in the community in Jerusalem, but also there was 
some great injustice as well within the community. There were Jewish Christians from a, a Greek cultural background who were being overlooked in the, the daily distribution of food with the most vulnerable missing out. And so to tackle this, there were seven men who were selected and were responsible for creating a fair environment uh, for the food allocation in the community. And so these men were prayed for, anointed, and they were enabled to fulfill this simple but yet really important role. And um, we read here about Stephen, who was one of those men. I don't know if you've watched some of the Rugby World Cup recently. It's been on our TVs quite a lot. Um, the All Blacks, the New Zealand team, have been world number one for a long time before Ireland managed to, to top them. And then, as, as usual, we, we choke and get knocked out pretty early on in the, in the tournament. Um, but the All Blacks coach famously said, when it comes to selection of players, character trumps ability every time. You don't pick players purely based on how good they are, but what type of people they are. And that's a similar sentiment I think we see here. Not only is it super successful sports coaches, but scriptural giants also are in the same vein. Character trumps ability. And we read about Stephen. What do we know about him? What's he like? And what can we learn from him this morning? Well, let's look. If you have your Bibles, keep them open. They might be on your phone. They might be uh, a, a kind of hard copy in front of you, but keep them open in Acts 6. Verse 8 says this, Now Stephen, a man full of grace and power, performed great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. And not only that, verse 3 in the passage we read last week says that he was full of the Spirit and wisdom. And verse 5 says he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that's a pretty good biography, isn't it? If someone wrote that about me when I die, I will be, I'll be absolutely chuffed to pieces. I will be delighted. Now, I'm pretty sure they probably won't. But I wonder, I wonder what people will say about you in the future. Clearly, Stephen's life was one characterized by grace, by power, by faith, by wisdom. They're all incredible attributes. But I wonder how might people think of us Imagine we live a life that is full of the Holy Spirit, so much so that we can't help but exhibit these things that Stephen did. What an impact that could have. And you might be sitting there thinking, it's a bit of a tall order, Johnny. You're asking quite a lot. You're lucky I'm even here this morning. Well, the good news is that we can, we can through the power of the Holy Spirit, be people that live lives of faith, grace, wisdom, if we give our lives to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to shape us into the image of Jesus, then we too will grow in the fruits of the Spirit. And again, you might be thinking, I can, I can do the grace bit, just about. Maybe the faith bit, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that, but the signs and wonders, that's not really my, it's not really my thing. I'm gonna leave that to Jesus. It's all well and good Stephen doing those things, but not, not me. He was different. He lived around the time of the apostles. He's seen them doing pretty cool things. Um, he was an eyewitness to some of these incredible, miraculous signs. So it, it's kind of natural for him to, to carry it on, but me, not so much. 
it's different now. And after all, I'm, I'm no one special. I, I work at a hospital, I work in a cafe, a school, university, I'm retired, I'm a carer, I'm a, a stay-at-home parent. Signs and wonders are just a bit above my pay grade, Johnny. We're not, that's not, that's not my thing. Well, I want you to take courage from Stephen this morning. Take courage from him because, of course, Jesus did signs and wonders. After all, he was, he was the son of God. I mean, if he can't do them, who else can? And, of course, he healed the sick. He had authority over nature and he raised the dead amongst many other things. And they proved that he was who he said he was, the son of God. And, of course, the apostles, well, they were chosen by Jesus himself, specially anointed to carry the good news having spent three years at Jesus' feet, apprentices under the Son of God himself. And of course, they're going to do signs and wonders. But did the power of the Holy Spirit just die out after the first generation? The life of Stephen would say an emphatic no. We don't know exactly what signs and wonders Stephen did. But no doubt they would have been just like the ones the apostles did. They weren't magic tricks or fancy fireworks to amuse people or to make people think better of them, but they were examples of God's compassion in miraculous ways. And I want you to remember, Stephen was an administrator. He was a, he was a bookkeeper. Some of you might do that job. And his job was to distribute food on a daily basis. But his ability to be used by God and to do miracles was not based on a CV or his training but rather being filled with the Spirit. God is still interested in doing the miraculous. And we don't always know why God chooses to do miraculous things. We don't understand it, why he does and why he doesn't. But we do know that God is still doing miracles today and chooses us as his hands and feet to draw people into his kingdom and to new life in him. And the question I have for you is, are you willing to be used by God? Are you available for him to do miraculous things through you? Regardless of what life stage you are in, God can do great things through the power of the Holy Spirit within you. God is more interested in our character than anything else. Character trumps ability every time. And despite Stephen doing amazing things in the power of the Holy Spirit, really positive things in his community, people, we read in verse 9, we read this, opposition arose from members of the synagogue from, of the freedmen, Jews from, of Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. Now, these men were probably Jews from different parts of the Mediterranean, who had previously been slaves under the Roman Empire and now called Jerusalem home. They opposed Stephen and the things that he was doing in Jesus' name and so began to argue with him. Now, those of you who are conflict-averse are sitting thinking, Stephen, listen, just, just throw in the towel, keep a low profile, don't be annoying anyone, just keep your mouth shut. They'll go away. They'll leave you alone if you let them. But Stephen opted to do something different. He opted to engage in discussion with them. And in verse 10, we read that they couldn't stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him. 
as he spoke. So here we have Stephen, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he was able to stand his ground in the, fierce, uh, the face of fierce opposition. And with the wisdom God gave him, he won the argument. Now, it's not about winning the argument. We know that we, we can't win arguments to encourage people to come to know Jesus. That's, that's, not, that's not the tactic I'm, I'm, I'm endorsing. Let's not argue people into the kingdom. But when Stephen was faced with these people who opposed him and were arguing with him, he was able just to give a, a clear account of what it is that he believed. And we have no idea whether Stephen was smarter, better educated, or a better order than his opposition, but the difference was that the Spirit the difference was the spirit with which he spoke. God gave him what he needed when he needed it most. And for a lot of us as Christians, I think we shy away from speaking of Christ, even when there's no visible opposition in front of us, because I think we're, we're often afraid of other people's reaction, aren't we? We want to be liked, and we're afraid of saying the wrong thing. We're scared of offending people, we're afraid that we might not know the answer if they asked us some really mega theological question. Well, I want you to take great courage this morning because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God will give you the wisdom to know what to say. A few weeks ago, um, I got a little fresh trim at the barbers, um, Baz Barbers. I, I recommend it. All barbers are, all av are available. Um, but just down the road by Sainsbury's, um, I thought I'll go, in, I'll go into the barbers, get, get a fresh, fresh trim. That's what the cool kids call it nowadays. I've got a haircut, okay? And um, so I go in, and I'm the only one in the shop. And this guy, who I'd, I hadn't had him before, but I, I had his brother who cut my hair. Um, and uh, he was listening to something on, on YouTube, on the TV. And I was like, that, that, sound, that, that sounds interesting. I'm going to ask him about it. I was like, oh, what are you listening to? And he said, oh, I'm listening to the Quran. I thought, great. There's a window into a little conversation. And I thought, and then seconds later, I thought, yeah, I'm going to have to know what I need to say. Now that's the problem. And so I thought, let's go for this. Come on, God. Let's, let's see where this goes. So I said, oh, what are you listening to? And he said, oh, the Quran. And I said, oh, I, you know, do you listen to it regularly? And we got, we got talking, and eventually... We covered in my haircut, which took a lot longer because he was chatting to me than it should have done. He said, we chatted about whether Jesus was the son of God. We talked about creation. We talked about the authority of the Bible, who wrote it, all sorts of things. And it was, it, it was, it was an amazing conversation. Anyway, the reason I'm telling this story was, he, he's like, do, do you believe in Old Testament prophets? And I was like, yeah. And he went, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. He's like, do, do you know Moses? And I was like, yeah, not personally, but... I have heard about him. He's, a, he's great. And he was really, he was, he was thrilled. He was like, oh, we're getting somewhere. And so he said, uh, what about Abraham? I said, yeah, I know Abraham. He's like, oh, Abraham. Um, he said, how many sons did Abraham have? And I thought, oh. <laughs> and he knew, he knew. He was like, you're a priest, right? And I was like, yeah. And so I did what all good vicars or priests do and say, how many do you think he had? <laughs> And uh, he, so he, um, he was like, no, I'm asking you because you're a priest. <laughs> and I thought, oh, here we're in trouble. So um, <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Um, 
So I said, okay. Um, I thought in my head, I was thinking, is this a trick question? This could be, I was like, I know Abraham, he had Isaac, he had Ishmael. I, I think he had like, I think he had maybe a few more. So I thought I'll go for something a bit ambiguous. Um, and I was like, is it a trick question? Because obviously, you know, father of many nations and all that. So I thought, oh yeah, he had quite a few. And he, his face was like, oh, quite a few. And he said, he had two, Isaac and Ishmael. And I thought, oh, this doesn't look good. And so he said, why did you say two? When I, when he, why did you say many when he only had two? And I said, well, he's the, yeah, he's the father of many nations. He had descendants everywhere. And he was like, well, yeah, good, 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 good point. And I thought, I might not know the answer, but the Lord gave me that mental dexterity to get out of what was quite a sticky situation for me with egg on my face. I then went home, got the Bible out, and actually realized he had, Abraham had eight sons. So I was right, um, after all. <laughs> um, Genesis 25, I was very pleased to read that. Um, check it out if you don't believe me. Um, Whilst that was probably a, a lot more long-winded um, than I anticipated, that story, I tell you that only because throughout the rest of the conversation, God gen genuinely gave me the words to say. And it wasn't about having the right answers to the questions. It was just about being real. And I said to him, I'm going to pray for you that Jesus reveals himself in a dream. And I kind of was like, oh, that was pretty, pretty bold. But the Lord just prompted me to go have confidence in who I am, have confidence in me to reveal myself. It's not about the words that you say, but I'm going to use you if you're willing. And with the power of the Spirit, I want you to, to remember that you too have, can have confidence in whatever conversations you're in, whether it's visible opposition to your faith for the sake of Christ, you can stand for him and just be real with people and articulate what you believe. It's not about having the right answers. And if you lack wisdom, James in James chapter one says, if, you, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. There's wisdom on tap if you ask for it. Friends, it's not something that like God's withholding, being like, yeah, you need to have read the Bible through in the last 24 hours before I kind of hand this out. It just takes us to be courageous and willing to step out. And if you want to see the power of the Spirit at work in people's lives, my encouragement is for you to take risks. For you to get out there and take risks. And Stephen's conduct and message was winning the day. And so what did his challengers do? Well, instead of coming up with a more coherent and cogent argument, they began to falsely accuse him. And so they resorted to mudslinging and lies. Verse 11 says, they secretly persuaded men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized him and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They couldn't get the better of him in a fair debate. So they resorted to this secret strategy to influence popular opinion. And if it was a secret, then how does Luke know about it? I hear you ask. Well, perhaps it was because of who might have been part of that opposition. There was a prominent Jew who was originally from Cilicia. Remember, it was mentioned. Saul of Tarsus. That's where he's from. Cilicia. Later become 
Paul, right? He was renowned for his opposition to the early Christians just a bit back in Jerusalem. And there was a high probability that he was heavily involved in this smear campaign against Stephen. It could well have been him that told Luke, Luke, I'm telling you, the plan was to make sure that we kept Stephen quiet, discredit the miracles that people were witnessing. We did a bit of witness tampering. We wanted him to share the same fate as Jesus. Isn't it amazing how scripture knits together? And Stephen's opponents needed to first change popular opinion on their side. Previously, we read in Acts 2 and chapter 5 that but those two chapters tell us that Christians had great favor among the common people. Their lives were making a positive impact on the general population. But here, through skillful lies and deception, the religious elite radically changed popular perception. And it just shows us how popular opinion can be easily shaped. We see the media doing that today. The same crowd that praised Jesus when he was entering Jerusalem at his triumphal entry called for his crucifixion not that long later. The crowds that loved the apostles are now very much against Stephen. And this is why we as followers of Christ mustn't let popular opinion and culture shape the vision of the church and the gospel that we share. Our priorities and our values and our message must be shaped by, by God's word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the world will look at us and go, they're actually, that, that church, the church, they're actually doing quite a good job helping people, loving people, serving the poor, amongst many other things. But quite often they will look at us and even hate us. And how did this happen for Stephen? Well, you may, might be wondering what, what was causing the trouble we read that the two things that were most important to the Jewish people in this day were the temple and the law. And regarding the temple, Jesus said that he would replace the temple, God's dwelling place on earth, that he would destroy it and build it back up again, speaking about his death and his resurrection. And regarding the law, well, Jesus said that he'd come to fulfill the law rather than to do away with it. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, which for them was complete and utter blasphemy. So were the accusations leveled at Stephen true because of what he said about Jesus? I'm going to say no. But his words were twisted into false accusations. And these accusations leveled at Stephen were similar to that of Jesus. I think as followers of Jesus, if we're being accused of the same things that he was accused of, we're doing the right thing. And friends, I, I want to, to reiterate that as we communicate the good news of Jesus, we need to be doing that with grace and clarity and love. And there will be people that will respond positively, like we're seeing on Alpha at the moment. But there might be times when you say all the right things in the most loving and compassionate way, and people may not like it. People might twist our words or portray us negatively. And we can't control popular opinion, but we can control how we respond to any opposition. And so how did Stephen react when he was seized and hauled in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling elite? 
Well, I know if I was in Stephen's shoes, firstly, I'd have been panicking a little because I knew what happened to Jesus. I knew what they were capable of. And secondly, I've been, having been falsely accused, I've been pretty quick to clear my name. I'd have been pretty quick to clear up any misunderstanding that I ha- they had of me. And I'd probably been quite angry about it, if I'm honest. But look at verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So as Stephen was under intense scrutiny and pressure, his face appeared like an angel. How on earth can that be? And you're thinking, how do you even know what an angel looks like? Well, I'm pretty sure that Luke is not telling us that he's like, Stephen's looking like one of those chubby, baby-faced angelic figures that you see on an Italian cathedral roof, ceiling by some, oh, I was going to use some like art terminology, and then I realized I don't actually know what sort of period that is in. Can someone, anyone want to tell me when those were like Sistine chapels? Arisha, you look like you might know. Renaissance, look at that. Oh, what a pro. Um, thank you. Um, that's not what we're talking about. In which, the, the way in which Stephen reflected that of an angel was because he had a perfect peace and confidence in who God was. His demeanor radiated outwardly the serenity and work of the Holy Spirit that's going on within. And he was able to reflect that peace when under great opposition, on trial. And Luke writes back in the gospel in chapter 12, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And here we have it. And this is a a genuine work um, of the Holy Spirit to bring peace and strength when we need it most. And we too can have that same peace and strength and radiate like an angel in our community here. Can you picture it? This angry mob, ready to to wipe this guy out, lying and secretly plotting to bring about his downfall, to shut him up for good. And here he is, shining like an angel, face like an angel, not a little chubby one. Calm, confident in the truth of the testimony that he gave about Christ. Just like Moses came down radiant from meeting with the Lord and Christ himself at his transfiguration, Stephen was in close relational proximity with God himself. And as I close, I just want to leave you with this thought. Stephen was a great bloke. His biography was top drawer. Definitely worth a read if it was in Waterstones. Full of the Spirit, grace, power, wisdom, and faith. But what made Stephen great was not, how, was, not, was not only those things, but it was how closely he identified with Jesus. So much so that he was accused of some of the same things. And so if we call ourselves disciples of Christ, we too identify with Jesus. And so through faith, he comes to live and dwell in us and we in him. And like Stephen, we receive all these positive things, the grace, the faith, the wisdom. I bet you're like, 
I'll have some of that, thank you. Put that in my back pocket. But also, when we identify with Jesus, we take on some of the things that Jesus suffered as well. When he's rejected by popular culture, we often are as well. How do we react when, we, when a, being a disciple of Jesus costs us our reputation? 1 Peter 4 says this, when it comes to suffering for this name of Jesus, says this, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Friends, let's be real this morning. We have to be all in for Jesus, not just for the good things, but the difficult things too. Will people say of you, oh, they, do you know what? They were filled with the Holy Spirit, grace, power, faith and wisdom and truth. Are you willing to count the cost this morning? Just like Stephen and find peace and confidence in identifying with Jesus, even when popular opinion might be negative because of your faith in Christ. Why don't we stand if you're, if you're able and we'll just take this moment as the band comes up to, to respond. You, you might just wanna put your hands out, not because it does anything magic, but just as a, a physical sign that you're open and available to hearing from the Lord. We just join in prayer with, with that ancient prayer that's been prayed across generations and generations. And we say, come Holy Spirit. If you would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then if you would like the wisdom to know how to speak about Jesus, if you want that confidence and courage to identify with Jesus, even when it's costly, let's ask for that. And so, Father, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We ask that you would pour that out, pour out your wisdom, pour out your grace on us, pour out your power on us, we pray. Give us the confidence and the courage to follow Christ even when it's costly. I pray that we would be so filled by your spirit that we would have faces like angels because of the work that you're doing within us. Thank you that you suffered for us. Thank you that you went to the cross for us, that you rose for us to have the victory. And so we pray that you would Help us to leave here as people who are filled with your spirit, willing to identify with you in the good and the bad. In Jesus' name, amen.